the story of Esther, uh, some of you probably know it, and some of you probably maybe half know it, and some of you don't know it. It's amazing. It's such an amazing story, and, and it's, a real, um, uh, it's a really wonderful thing to see what God does and how God works. And it's kind of, it's like a, it's like a movie, but it's not. It's real, which is really exciting. So we're going to start off back in the day, um, with King Xerxes, who is a very, very powerful ruler, and he has 127 provinces under his belt, he's rich, and he's got many beautiful things, and he liked that fact that he liked to show off so much that in the third year of his reign, he basically had a six-month-long look at all my wealth and look at all my amazing stuff, and then a week-long banquet for all the men and women um, well, he did the men, and his queen Vashti did the women. And they had, um, uh, you know, he basically, he was super generous. It was everyone, he reigned in the, and I love to say this, he reigned in the citadel of Susa, which is very cool. And he um, invited everyone, important and not important, and basically brought them in and gave them as much wine as they wanted, basically, he said. And... <laughs> Unsurprisingly, on the seventh day, he was merry with wine. And he's like, oh, I've got one more thing I haven't shown off to all these men. My wife, my, my queen, my queen is Vashti. And she, I don't think she was actually his wife, she was his queen. She's really beautiful. So he sent for her and said, put on your golden crown and come and parade yourself in front of all these men. And she refused and said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's not, I'm not going to do that. And he was not very happy understatement he said okay fine he's called his advisors together and they said well if the queen won't obey you the king then all women in Susa are no longer going to obey their husbands so she has to go so she was deposed she was no longer the queen that was the end of her now about three years later now this is the first point we talked about God's time of God this morning and a lot of Esther is about God's timing. It's just so beautiful, the way he works things together. So three years later, he suddenly thinks, hmm, I haven't replaced Vashti yet. I probably ought to do that. His advisors say, well, you like beautiful things? Hold a beauty contest. Bring in all the virgins in the land and we'll give them loads of beauty treatments and then they basically can come to you and you can um, choose one of them that you want to be the next queen. He thinks that's a good idea, and he sends out an edict, which is basically a rule, there's no choice, to bring in all these beautiful women who are the right age, all the beautiful virgins, to come into the palace, and so they can be tested to see if they're queen. And one of the women that goes in is Esther. She is a Jew. Her, um, her father isn't her father. He's adopted father. He's actually her cousin. It's Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew that came over in the exiles when they all had to leave Jerusalem. His, his tribe of Benjamin had to leave. And he raised her because her parents were dead. So if, uh, effectively, he's her father, even though he's a cousin. So I'm just going to refer to him as her father. Um, and so her father was um, Mordecai. And um, I don't think he particularly wanted her to go. He was very worried about her. He loved her very much. But she was called and she went and he told her not to tell anyone that they were related and not to tell anyone that um, she was a Jew. And it wasn't because he was ashamed of being a Jew because everyone knew that he was a Jew. He wasn't ashamed of her. 
because it says that once she's in the castle, he goes every day to walk to and fro in the courtyard because he wants to find out any tiny bit of information he can about her. Um, which actually broke my heart, even though it was thousands of years ago. Hundreds of I was like, oh, that's really sad. Um, he wasn't ashamed, but he asked her to do that because of God's timing. And she obeyed him. He was her father, so she did what she did. Um, so she goes to the harem for the virgins that have been called. And she's put, they're all put under the same guy. And he immediately finds favour with her and gives her special treatment, special food puts her and her seven maids in the best apartment in the harem, and she is very favoured. So now all the women that go have beauty treatments. My beauty treatment, maximum 10 minutes. I might put a face mask on, that's it. Uh, after bath while I'm reading. Um, but they had a years-long worth of beauty treatments, which is insane, That's so much. But they were pampered and primped and everything else and then what happened was once the year was up um one by one they were able to take what they wanted from the first harem uh they went one evening to visit the king he made his judgment on whether he wanted there to be queen if she wasn't queen then in the morning she went off to the other harem where all his concubines were kept and likely would never see him again so therefore was pretty much condemned to a loveless you know, if they weren't, she wasn't allowed to marry anyone else, she wasn't allowed to go home, uh, no children, you know. But that was the way it was. The king liked to be surrounded by beautiful things, and so he was. When it was her turn to go, when it was Esther's turn to go, she um, had advice from the, the Haggai who advised her and told her what she wanted, what she should take, and she listened to his advice. And as she was walking to the king, it says, everyone who saw her found favour. uh, she found everyone's favour she was obviously very striking very beautiful including the king who found her who saw her was bowled over by her more than any other woman and decided she was going to be the queen she is crowned the queen there's a party there's celebration he gives out gifts he gives everyone a day's holiday it's all good all great (laughs) he's not quite happy with that because it says and we don't know when but she's established as the queen that he has a second gathering of virgins. Obviously, he wants to have some more pretty things around him. He's not very... Uh, it's not a love match, let's put it that way. And um, during that time, Mordecai has now moved on to... Instead of being in the courtyard, he's now moved on to the king's gate. He and Queen Esther can communicate with each other, not directly, but through uh, messengers. And Mordecai is sitting at the gate, and he overhears a plot to assassinate King Xerxes. And he basically says, oh, that's not very good. Sends a message to Esther. She in turn tells King, sends messages to King Xerxes, including the fact that the plot was brought to her by Mordecai. And the, the would-be assassins are in fact hanged because they're found guilty. And it's all written down in the annals of the king, including Mordecai's name, what had happened, this foiled assassination plot. Um, so, she was queened in the seventh year of his reign, so that's four years after Vashti was gone. Over the next five years, someone, a nobleman called Haman, comes to power. And we don't really know very much about him at this point, just that the king favoured him. So he raised him up, he made him more powerful than all the other nobles, and as a result, everyone at the king's gate when he passed, like Alice said, they bowed, they got on their knees, bad before him 
but Mordecai refused to do it. There is no law that says that Jewish people were not allowed to honour another person by bowing before them. So he obviously chose to do that because he knew something of Haman's character, which we're about to find out. I think it's going to be quite obvious why he wouldn't respect him. Um, And he didn't bow. And Haman found out through other people that snitched and started watching Mordecai. And to say he wasn't happy would be an understatement. He... (laughs) If I'm not happy, well, apparently, if I'm not happy, I might if I'm blind a little bit. But most people in Britain would just tut because they weren't very happy with someone. Uh, some more passionate might yell and scream in their face. Someone even more passionate might punch them in the face. But to Haman, to kill Mordecai wasn't enough. He was a Jew, therefore all Jews had to die because he was kind of annoyed with one guy. Maybe we now know why he didn't want to bow before Haman and respect him. <laughs> so, in the 12th year... When now the twelfth year of his reign, uh, there's a little session where they cast the purr, which is basically something they do in the olden days. It's casting lots. I don't really know how it works. I didn't think it was that important. Look, um, so they cast the purr and came up with a date, which was on the thirteenth of the twelfth. It's not the thirteenth of December because their months were different. So the thirteenth of the twelfth month was the date. Hammond had that date. He took it to the king, and he said to the king. These people, uh, they don't really do what they're told, and mm, you're probably in your best interest to get rid of them. I think you should get rid of them. Obviously, Haman is a very trusted advisor. The king doesn't really look too much into it, doesn't get too much information, and uh, Haman has also offered him some silver to help cover the costs. Now, blatant bribe. If you were going to bribe someone with silver, how much silver would you bribe them with? In weight. Anyone? Give me a number. Tell me. 10,000 talents. Yeah. Don't look, you cheat. How much is 10,000 talents? How much is 10,000 talents? 340 tonnes of silver. So he obviously really, really wanted to get rid of the Jews. The king basically gives him permission to write an edict that says that on the... So the lots that were cast came up with the 13th of the 12th. So on the 13th of the 12th, all Jews in the entirety of all of his provinces must be killed. Young, old, women, child, no exceptions. They're all going to die. And this edict goes out and it says the king sat down and had a drink. He was obviously like, oh, okay, well, I've done that now. Move on. Hammond will be sat down was plotting with his little plotty fingers. He has a lot of plotty fingers. And was, um, yeah, he was, he was very pleased with himself for what he had done. Obviously, this then goes out to all the Jews who are understandably devastated. So it went out on the, in the first month, the 13th of the first month. So 12 months later, they're all going to die. They are understandably devastated and they wail and they mourn. Um, it says that Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and walked through the streets wailing. And he walked up to the king's gate and stayed there and was displaying his sorrow for the worst had been said. Esther finds out about this and sends him some clothes, which he refuses, and so she sends someone else to find out why, because don't forget that she is in the palace, but she is not in the inner court of the king. She's not part of his politics, she's not part of, um, you know, conversation, she's his pretty, pretty plaything. That's what she is, really, to him. And so she doesn't know. So Haman, uh, so Mordecai, sends back 
um, the information that Haman had bribed the king and sent her the, indi- uh, sent her the indi- edict that said that they were all going to die and asked her to go before the king and say, please, can you stop this from happening? Um, she is actually quite scared about that because she's not in a position of power, not really, um, and she is aware there is a law that anybody who goes before the king without being asked to go before the king, the law is that they get put to death, unless the king extends his golden scepter. Um, so for her to go before the king was quite scary, and she sent this message back to Mordecai, pretty much saying all of this, and that it's been 30 days since she'd seen the king. He sent back a message saying, basically, do you think you're going to be safe because as uh, the only Jew, because you're the only Jew in the palace? Do you think you're going to be safe? Mm, and also, you know God, and if you don't do it, someone else is going to do it. And um, maybe this is why you're here. You know, he, left, he lost her seven years ago to this palace, and maybe this is the purpose of her being there. She takes us on board, probably, you know, he's her father, he's given her the succour and the courage. If she is the only Jew in the palace, she's quite isolated, and as we know, gathering together makes a big difference to how we proceed in our life. And so she says, um, okay, I will, you know, she prays on it, she takes his advice, says, I'm going to fast for three days, my maids are going to fast for three days, you go out, get all the Jews in Susa to fast for three days, and then I'll go to the king which is what happens. And she says, if I die, I die, which is quite incredible from being afraid to die to saying, well, I just accept it if that's what has to happen. So then on the third day, she goes to the king and he sees her. She's obviously looking very beautiful. He finds her pleasing. He holds out his scepter. She comes to him and he's like, my queen, what do you want? Anything up to half my kingdom. They do that a lot in the Bible. I'm not quite sure. That happens before. I'm not quite sure they really would give half a kingdom. But anything up to half my kingdom. Great time to ask for the favour that she's after. But no, she says, please come to a banquet that I have prepared. You and Haman, come to this banquet. I've prepared it for you. So he goes. He's had some food. He has some wine. And he says again, my queen, half my kingdom is yours. If you ask for it, what do you want? You'd think, great time, he's happy, he's had wine, he's in a mellow place, he's finding her very beautiful. But God's timing is in everything. And this, God, this, uh, this is amazing of God's timing. Um, he, she says, if it pleases you, can you come back tomorrow? Do the same, you and Haman have a feast, and I will answer, the, I'll answer your question then. So, he says, yes, that's fine, they'll go back tomorrow. And... <laughs> Haman is going home, obviously very pleased with himself because he's been honoured in such a way. And he goes past the king's gate and he goes from being elated to furious because he sees Mordecai and he brings his mood right down. He goes home and he says to his family and his friends, oh, I have riches, I'm in such a powerful position. I've got ten sons. I'm uh, The queen alone honoured me in this banquet. But none of it means anything whenever I see Mordecai. It just still means nothing. So his family said, well, okay, why don't you do this then? Build a gallows tonight, go to the king tomorrow in the morning, ask if you can hang him, hang him in the day, then you can go in the evening to your party and be happy. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, that's a good idea, that's what I'm going to do, that's what he does. So he has the gallows built. Now this is where God's timing is so funny. That night, 
The Xerxes cannot sleep. And like us, when we cannot sleep, I, I read, I pick up my Kindle. Xerxes is a bit more about himself. He decides to send for the book about himself, or the annals of the king. And he's reading through the annals of the king and comes across the passage where it talks about Mordecai foiling the assassination plot. And, in the, and he's quite struck by it. And in the morning, he asks what has been done to honour Mordecai and is told nothing's been done to honour him. So he's like, well, who's in, who's in the court? Who can I talk to about this? Haman's here, because of course Haman had tripped over in the morning to go and ask for Mordecai to be put to death. And uh, so he's like, come on then, Haman, I've got a question. What would you do to honour someone I wanted to honour? What, what could be done? So Haman's internally, evil plotty fingers, going, hmm, well, this must be me, because who else would it be? And so he says, put him in a royal robe you've worn and put him on a royal horse that you've ridden with a royal crest. Have a nobleman lead him through the streets and proclaiming, this is what's done for a man the king delights to honour. Oh, that is a good idea. Go and do that for Mordecai the Jew who's sitting at the king's gate. Now, Haman at that point, probably (laughs) quite devastated, (laughs) but order from the king. So instead of hanging Haman on that day, he has to lead him through and honour him, yelling praises in his, his name through the streets. And understandably goes home quite grieving, quite sad, and says to his wife, this is just what's happened, this is awful. And his wife and his friends, who last night said, why don't you build this gallows and have him hanged, said to him, well, he is a Jew, so you were never going to win against him. <laughs> Supportive bunch, they were. <laughs> Nonetheless, time moves on. He's sad that evening. He has, still has to go to the banquet. Goes to the banquet. Things are really beginning to go downhill for him because now, the third time that the king asks Esther, what can I give you? She says, I'm begging for my life and I'm begging for the life of my people. We've been sold into destruction. The king is quite cross about this. He's very pleased with Esther at this moment. He's like, who has done this? Haman is going pale in the background because she says, Haman, vile Haman has done it. The king is so cross, it says he leaves behind his wine and stops out into the garden, probably to get the guards, probably because he has to walk off his fury. Haman, understandably, is absolutely terrified, (laughs) goes to beg the Queen Esther for mercy, I don't know whether he intends to, but falls on her while she's on the couch. The king comes back in, sees Haman lying on top of the queen, not happy about that. What are you doing? Are you even going to insult her in front of me? Has him arrested. One of the eunuchs sidles up to him and goes, you know that Haman's got some gallows that he built for Mordecai, the guy that you honoured this morning. (laughs) And they're messing up. And immediately he says, hang Haman on those gallows. And Haman is hung, hanged, not hung, hanged. And he dies, obviously. <laughs> That's the result of being hanged. And then it says that Xerxes' fury is, is, is lessened somewhat. So on that same day, as a reparation for uh, Hammond's plotting, Queen Esther is given his estate, which obviously is no small estate if he can afford to give away 340 tonnes of silver. She admits that Mordecai is essentially her father, And he's brought into the palace. Obviously, the king is very pleased with Mordecai already, and now learning he's the wife of, he's the father of his his queen, his beauty queen. Um, So he brings him in, and he is appointed in charge over the estate to look after it. Um, Obviously, the plot is still afoot, so she 
falls in and weeps at his feet, at the king's feet, saying, please rescue my people, please save my people. He basically says, I can't, once something's gone out in my name, it's been sealed with my ring, I can't revoke it. Write something else to help combat it, and I will sign it and seal it. So they write another edict which basically says all the Jews on that day that they're going to be attacked can defend themselves and they can kill anyone who tries to attack them, no matter of wealth, rank, position, nationality, doesn't matter, they're allowed to defend themselves, they're allowed to assemble and defend themselves. So that goes out in the, thir- in the third month. So they had to wait two months for that and they probably felt a very long two months for the Jews who were to that. But then they get this message that they are saved, essentially, and they have such trust in their God that they're going to be victorious. They celebrate, and there's feasting, and there's joyousness, and it's all amazing. Mordecai is really honoured by the king. He's put in royal robes, in royal colours. He has a crown. He's been given a place of honour. The king is obviously very pleased with him. And he goes off. And um, over the next few months, everyone's celebrating. Apart from some nationalities, who, and some people in some nationalities, it says many people were actually really afraid of the Jews, so they became a Jew instead. So that was their, that was their solution. So then the day comes, there is um, going to be a gathering, because no matter what, even if some people are afraid, if you're one of God's people, you're always going to have someone willing to try and stamp you out. That's just the way it goes. So there was a gathering, everyone gathered together to destroy all the Jews, and instead they were the ones that were destroyed. Obviously, God was victorious, and they, just, they, they stamped out the rebellion. I think you know, over 75,000 people were killed, and um, even Haman's sons, all Haman's sons were killed. And it was a day, the next day and the day after were a day of feasting and celebration and joyousness, and, and it was put... Um, fourth by Queen Esther and Mordecai that it was going to become a permanent Jewish holiday that they were going to celebrate this every year and it became the feast of Purim Pur from the casting of the Pur which basically uh, was the when, when the date was decided so it became the feast of Purim and it is celebrated by the Jews every year and it ends up basically this whole story ends up with Mordecai being second in command over all the over all the kingdom, only under King Xerxes. Now you just can't make it up, but you can't make it up. It's not made up. That is a true story, and I just find it in, insanely amazing. It's just it's just incredible, and there are lots of things that I need my verses because I can't. I, I won't make you. I've got lots of extra verses to go to. So. I, I've got so many, it's really annoying when you have to flick through the Bible all the time. I've written them down, so you don't need to go to them. But if you'd like to get your Bibles now, I'm going to, there's just a few things I'd like to pick out, a few verses I would like to pick out. And for me, when I started preparing this, I was really convinced that I was going to be talking about Esther. And actually, I have very, very little talk about Esther. <laughs> I was going to talk about the, you know, the beauty, inner beauty of a woman and da, da, da. No, none of that. It's nothing about that at all. And I... God is so um, good in so many ways and just takes you where he wants you to go. So he's taken me somewhere else. And basically, it, I am just going to talk about um, how, what certain chapters, verses reveal about who God is and what he is like. 
Uh, and so, uh, first, so in the second chapter, verse 9 says, um, it's when Esther's gone into the harem the first time, the girl pleased him and won his favour. And in verse 15, it says, Esther won the favour of everyone who saw her. And in verse 17, it says, the king was attracted to Esther more than any other woman and won his favour. She was immediately loved by everyone who saw her. And one could argue that she was obviously the only Jew uh, there. And so she obviously she behaved, would have behaved differently because when you uh, obey what God tells you to do, you don't react to the world the same way that everybody else reacts. And um, we, as Christians, stand out from other people because we are either not willing to behave in a certain way or willing to do something that nobody else will. Um, and we are going to stand out. Now, for some people, that is good. For Esther, it was good. She became queen. For some people, Mordecai, it meant that someone plotted to kill him for no other reason than he just didn't like him. Um, now, Esther, like Mordecai, actually was, a, was willing to face the consequences, and um, we have got to be willing to face consequences in our lives for when we stand up for what's right. So that's one reason you could say that she's won favour. But the other reason, and one of the main reasons, is that it says in Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, you don't need to go to this, I've got this here. No one from the east or the west can exalt a man, but it is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. God exalts, he exalts who he wants to exalt. Um, So that is one of the things, well, one of the characteristics of God. Okay, chapter 3, verse 7 says, In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, they cast the purr, that is the lot, in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month, and the lot fell on the twelfth month, month Vedar. So you're thinking, chance, complete, according to this, complete chance, created a date for something really that would affect thousands and thousands of people. And I think we can all think in our lives that we have things that happen we walk through our lives and lots of things and 90 percent of the stuff that happens to us is not actually anything that we can control and seemingly would happen by chance but we are god's people so nothing happens by chance it says in proverbs 16:33, the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the lord so we don't need to worry about what's going to happen god decides another so he exalts and he decides so if you go on to chapter four verse 14 is when um mordecai and esther are going backwards and forwards when she's being asked to save the jews and mordecai sends this message um, in 414 it says for if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the jews will arise from another place but you and your father's family will perish and who knows that you've come here for such a time as this. So Mordecai unfailingly trusts God. There was no doubt in his mind that someone was going to save the people. He was able to use everything that had happened in the past to, to, to know that. And in my life, I try and keep a diary and it's, it doesn't get kept. I think the last time I wrote it, it was about six years ago. But I have kept in the past a diary of things that God has done for me, so that when I'm really struggling with stuff, I can look back and remind myself who God is. 
and that he's still in control and that he comforts and he provides what I, I, I need. Um, and like um, all the Jews of Israel, time and time again, were attacked and then protected and then attacked and then protected, Mordecai said, I know that God is going to, to rescue us. And if you go back all the way to the very, very, very beginning of time in Genesis. Genesis 3.21 says, and this is, uh, so um, Adam and Eve have been cast out of the garden. They've been disobedient. They've been cast out of the garden. And Genesis 21 says, God made garments of skin and clothed them. So he provided from, for his people from the very beginning. And that is one of his amazing characteristics God provides. So he exalts, he decides, he provides. Um, so chapter 5, verse 13 says so this is this is like a toddler this is when um, Haman is really proud of everything he's got and then says to his family but all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate Uh, how true is that you might think that he's being spoiled baby but how true is it that when we have something that is in our lives that feels rotten it takes over everything else in our life we have one thing and it can so easily take over every other part of what's going on. But we are, it's like one, whole, one apple spoils the bunch, and one bad apple spoils the bunch. Um, but we have control in this, and we can choose to leave it there, or we can choose to take it out of the rest of the good stuff and give it to God. I have particularly had an example of this, as some of you know, because I sent a message. So I was preparing for today, and I had a really, really tough week with a very close relation of mine. Not Kira, don't look at her. Don't give her the side eye. Uh, Kira's been amazing, very supportive and lovely. But it was somebody who I am, you know, one of my top five. Um, and I had no idea where we had this, we basically had this argument and she was very mean and she was really un- un- unkind and I was really angry and upset. And this was in, on Wednesday and I really felt like it had come, and it had exploded really out of nothing. I was saying to Kira, I don't really know where this has come from. I don't understand how it's all of a sudden become this big this week. And I thought, well, I do know, because I'm preparing to teach uh, and preach on Sunday, and Satan has basically come and tried to steal my peace from me. And um, I was going to work, so it all blew up on Wednesday night. I was going to work on Thursday morning, and God gave me Psalm 12. 23, which um, I love and doesn't make me think of death at all. I know everyone considers it, but it's nothing. It's so amazing. Psalm 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. And what that means is that God doesn't pick you up and take you out of everything that's going on. He clears a space and he says, I am here. You come to me and everything will be all right. I will give you nourishment. Your cup is overflowing. I'm going to give you so much that you can't fit any more um, nourishment and um, love and encouragement and strength in you. And you're going to be completely safe. You know, the enemy prowls around. But here with me at this table, you're safe. You're with me. And he can build you up in that moment to give you the strength to go out 
amongst your enemies and do what it is you need to do. And then when you can't take any more, you come back and you get that nourishment and you do it time and time again. And that psalm to me is a really powerful psalm. It has been for a long time. And I'm, I was so grateful to God for giving that to me because it put me in a very different place. And I went to the table and I had my nourishment from God and things have calmed down a lot with my cousin since then. And I, um, I, there's still a little, little bit of work to do, but it has, um, I changed the way I viewed it because of what God brought to me, which is so beautiful. And so God blesses, um, you know, even though um, we, I can't remember where I am now. Uh, even though we, yeah, no, 513, I've done that one. Um, uh, we have things that could spoil our lives. We, cho- we can choose how much power they have over us. And if it keeps coming back to you, keep giving it back, keep giving it back, keep giving it back. <laughs> it's just the way it goes. God will take it from you every time. Okay, so, God is so good. Um, so, 613, which is another one of, and I, um, I hopefully won't cry when I do this one, but I've cried every time I've done talked about it. I, I feel like I might have cried it all out when I was practicing, and because um, I just you know six thirteen is um, basically so when Mordecai had to honor uh, Mordecai was honored by Haman. Haman had to honor Mordecai, and he was um, understandably devastated. He goes home and basically he says he tells his wife, who were the people that wife and friends told him to build the gallows uh, and ho- uh, so he rushed home in grief and told Zeresh his wife and all his friends everything that had happened to him his advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him since Mordecai before whom all your downfall has started is of Jewish origin you surely cannot stand against him you will surely come to ruin so supportive as I said supportive bunch um, and I've already covered the fact that God's people are seen differently we, you know, we stand out what I really got from this is that um, they behaved pretty much the way that Satan behaves, in that Satan will lead you somewhere and he will get you in a right mess and a right pickle and then when you need help he'll say, right, I'm going now, I'll see you later and he leads you, just like they did. They told him to do one thing, it didn't happen and they went, well, what did you expect to happen? And then that was, that was no support. And we can think, well, we, we don't get, you know, we don't follow what Satan says. But he masquerades as an angel of light. And the things that he brings, us, brings to us are very tempting. And we can get tempted to do all sorts of things. I am constantly tempted and follow lots of times, unfortunately, things I shouldn't do or things I shouldn't say. Or, you know, I am not... Shock, guys, not perfect. I know, yeah, you think I am, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> And, um, and I don't intentionally get led into these places, but sometimes, you know, I find myself in the middle of a mess and I think, how did I, well, like this week, how did I, how did I get here? And Satan loves, he's a deceiver, he's a liar, and he basically wants to lure us. And we sometimes get lured and we can find ourselves in a horrible place. But God is not the same. In Joshua 1, 5b, it says, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you, which is so beautiful to me because I made myself get in a mess and I made myself, I let myself be led somewhere I shouldn't be led. And there's no proviso on that. 
God will be with me and he will never leave me, even if I'm in a mess of my own making. So when you're thinking, I've done all of this and it's my fault and I have no right to ask for help, you don't have any right to ask for help, but God is with you anyway and will always be with you. And nothing that you um, can do will drive him away. God stays, which is my, it's so beautiful to me. So uh, if you go on to 7, verse 9, it says, um, <laughs> I love this bit. I can really picture the eunuch sidling up to Xerxes and whispering in his ear. This is after the, ki- uh, the king has arrested ha- um, Haman. Then um, Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the keep, king said a gallows 75 feet high stands by Haman's house he has made it for Mordecai who spoke up to help the king and the king said hang him on it you know Mordecai did nothing to bring that about at all he let Haman carry on with his evil plans and he carried on doing the best thing that he could do for God. And one, that's one of the characteristics that as a Christian, as a Jew, we don't react the way the world reacts. Sometimes we do, and then we repent of it. But we try to react differently. We try to behave differently. And we can sit back and give that situation to God. He is the original avenger. And it says in Romans twelve nineteen. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So God is the avenger. And 8.17 and 9.2b, which I was really confused about because my B looks like a 6. I was looking at my notes going, 26. 9.2b says, so 8.17 says... um, And many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. And on this day, where is it? So no no one could stand against them because the people of all other nationalities were afraid of them. Basically, God is was in control, even though it felt like he wasn't for a time. In Deuteronomy 20.40, it says, The Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you victory. God defeats everything. Nothing in your life is more powerful than God, and he will have the victory. God defeats. Uh, The whole of chapter 9 is basically God defeats, pretty much. That's what it is. And then the very last verse I'm bringing to you is the very last verse, um, chapter and verse in the story of Esther. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of the Jews. And it says in Hebrews eleven six, God rewards those who diligently seek him. We may not do well, but if we honestly look to him, then uh, he will reward us. And I'm not talking about gold and silver or palaces of power, but just moments. I was so rewarded this week by preparing this. I'm so not really... <laughs> None of us are good enough. Sorry, Simon. None of us are good enough to be in this position, really. And it is, it's all... Um, but we're rewarded. Uh, <laughs> we're rewarded for seeking God, but not for actually what we do, because God is the one that does everything. So, yes. God is amazing, and I really felt... Uh, very close to him preparing this and it's just so lovely to see all the I mean you know all of these things but it's so lovely to sort of see them and nothing about Esther <laughs> <laughs>